as we continue our study and see shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament that we've been looking at. We move into the book of Numbers today and once again find shadows of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come into the book of Numbers, we're going to go over to uh, the 21st chapter of the book of Numbers. We're going to just sort of scan through and, and come to that. This is what's taking place here. It takes place right after Moses was at Kadesh, and you remember the people were thirsty and no water, and God told him to speak to the rock for he and Aaron to get their rods and to hold their rods, but to gather the people and to speak to the rock, and the rock would, would yield forth water. But instead, Moses in his anger uh, struck the rock twice with his rod, and of course the water came forth from the rock. But because of that, God said that he would not be able to enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and you'll remember he did not get to go into the promised land. He died on the mountain uh, outside of there. And, and then we find out in this passage in the 20th chapter that Aaron did not get to go in either, that he died on Mount Hor just in Edom. Uh, they had been turned away from the ruler of Kadesh and said that they could not pass through their country. And so they turned to go another way, and they went to the edge of Edom, and he was taken to the top of the mountain, and Moses took his priestly garment off of him and put it on his son Eleazar, which was, of course, Aaron's son, and put that on him, and then uh, Aaron died, and all of the people of Israel mourned Aaron's death. God continued to give them victory and passage as they were refused uh, passage through Edom, and they couldn't go through Edom. After the death of Aaron, the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming to the, uh, on the road to Etherim, and he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to his voice, the voice of Israel, and delivered the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. And then they journeyed, it says, from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our soul loathes, hates, despises this worthless bread. Wow. We despise what you've given us. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Oh, what a confession. We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed uh, for Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on the pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. And Moses made a brass serpent and put it on the pole, and it as it was, if a per and it so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the brass serpent, he lived. Now, just reading through the book of Numbers and coming to this passage and reading through this, it does not jump out at you that this is a portrait or a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. But when you come to the New Testament, it becomes abundantly clear in the third chapter of John. Now, most of the time, we refer to John 3.16. Who, does anybody remember who Jesus was speaking to when he gave John 3.16 to us? He was speaking to Nicodemus. We know the story of Nicodemus when Jesus said, you've got to be born again. We understand that. But we seem to separate the two, but the conversation continues there when Nicodemus questions how he can be born again. Jesus said to him, and this is in the tenth chapter of the third chapter, tenth, excuse me, tenth verse of the third chapter of John. And Jesus said to him, "Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things?" Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. Now, I want you to notice in your scripture that the pronoun we is capitalized, and he's talking about himself as God, he and the Father. We speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I've told you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, boy, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has already given the gospel message before he gets to John 3, 16, the very next verse. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But, but when, oh, excuse me, but he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds 
that, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Today, through the study of the book of Numbers and coming to this shadow, this type, this portrait, picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come afresh to Calvary. We come to the place where God the Son, the only Son of God, died for our sins and became our sin. And that was pictured, excuse me, plainly pictured in the Old Testament time and time and time again. We have seen it from the Garden of Eden. We've seen it through the deliverance of the children of Israel and the partaking of the Passover meal. We've seen it from the giving of the law. We've seen it from the sprinkling of the blood. We've seen it for uh, and giving the dimensions and the building of the tabernacle. We can go on back and we saw it in the building of the ark and the deliverance of, the, of, of Noah and his family in the ark. We've seen it time and time again. And here we have another beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary in our behalf. That is where our hope is anchored. That is where our faith is built. That is where we came into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ when we trusted in his finished work on the cross of Calvary, when he became sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, according to 1 Corinthians 5.21. So when we think about that, and 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 5.21, I, I thought I was wrong when I said that. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that it became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when we think about that this morning, we think about the awesome price that Jesus paid on the cross. We speak of his death on the cross in short phrases. We talk about his death on the cross as, and just sort of move through it, but we do not take time many times to stop at the cross and see the anguish and the pain and the suffering and the condemnation that was placed upon him for all of us and what Jesus went through for us on the cross of Calvary. He became sin for us who knew no sin. As we go back and look at this picture in the book of Numbers of the fiery serpent, I'll remind you that this serpent is representative of Satan himself, of evil, if you would. And the bite of evil, the bite of Satan is sin. It happened in the Garden of Eden. It's been happening in the lives of every human being since then, in the life of every human being since the Garden of Eden, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we find that God said, so that you can understand that you cannot live up to my expectations. I've given you the law, and you said, we will do it. And Moses sprinkled you with the blood and told you that the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you in and the laws and guidelines for the different sacrifices and the 
times of worship and how you're to worship and giving the sacrifices. I've given it to you and explained it to you through the building of the tabernacle and how it's laid out and what I ask of that. I've given it to you and given you the day of atonement. I've told you over and over again, but now look to the serpent, look to the evil, look to your sin that I will make a sacrifice for you that you can have life. And when they looked to the serpent on the pole, lifted up, lifted up, and they looked at that serpent, the Bible says all who did so lived. All who did so were forgiven. All who did so were healed. Let me tell you what. The message has not changed. God introduced it in the book of Genesis, and he has introduced it and brought it up over and over again in every book of the Bible to help us understand that man is incapable of living up to his requirements. Man is incapable of living a pure life. Man is incapable of being sinless there's only one that was capable of doing that, and that is God the Son himself who came from heaven, the pure, holy, undefiled God in the flesh and went to the cross and became our sin for us that we might have forgiveness. And God says, if you will look to the cross, if you'll look to the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die from the snake bite of the serpent himself. Satan will not die from sin and spend an eternity suffering for that sin, but will be forgiven and have everlasting life. What a beautiful picture of the cross suffering on the cross if you go to the matthew chapter 27 verses 25 45 and 46 help us to understand the anguish and the pain of the lord jesus christ when he became our sin it says now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour there was darkness over all the land and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken of the Father. God has not, will not, ever had fellowship with sin. He will not walk with someone in sin. He withdraws his presence. He withdraws his fellowship from one that is sin, in sin. And when Jesus went to the cross and became, listen to me, the fiery serpent on the cross, the brass serpent. Now, I help you understand, brass is symbolic throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testament, of suffering. And when we read of the brass in the Old Testament that these utensils are made out of, they represent the suffering of the Savior. And when we come to the New Testament and find Jesus, as he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, most, so must I, the Son of Man, be lifted up. He introduces himself 
to Nicodemus as the son of man, but yet he is the son of God. He is the God-man. He is the one who came from heaven and put on our flesh. And in that flesh, he is the one who lived in that flesh without ever committing one sin. Not a sinful thought, not a sinful deed, not a sinful action, not a sinful attitude. Nothing in him was anything but purity and holiness. He lived a sinless life, and yet he went to the cross and became on the cross that that represents evil, that represents sin. He became that brass serpent, if you would, and he suffered the anguish of the cross, and the suffering is spelled out there in Matthew chapter 27 in those two verses I just read as God turns his back on the Holy Son of God, and there is darkness, which represents the absence of the light, and Jesus, the light, the absence of God at that moment, as he turned his back on his son, refusing to fellowship with his own son who became sin on the cross with us, and he went through that anguish and that pain and that suffering all for us that we might have forgiveness, and everlasting life. Oh, what a picture. Oh, what a picture of the suffering of the Savior. And how can we walk flippantly by the cross? How can we walk by the cross as is presented in the Scripture? How can we read these things that God has told us as he helps us understand the awful death of Jesus becoming our sin on the cross, becoming our ugliness on the cross, becoming our defiled selves on the cross, and dying on the cross for us that we may have forgiveness that all who would look to the cross of Jesus and believe on him would have everlasting life and would be forgiven oh what a promise oh what a oh what a promise oh what a salvation oh what a beautiful message of God's love for us he became sin for us you see God hates sin he will not fellowship with sin because sin is the very opposite of God's holy nature so he broke fellowship with the son when he was on the cross. And that fellowship had never been severed. There, there had never even been a hiccup in the fellowship between the father and son for eternity past, even though he was already given the assignment as the lamb of God slain before the making of the world, before the foundation of the world, he had already been given that assignment. But even through all that, there had never been a moment of severed relationship and fellowship. But when Jesus took on our penalty, when Jesus took on our sin, and I don't understand all of that, I cannot even begin to explain to you how he became our sin. How does the perfect, sinless, holy Son of God become our sin? I don't understand that, but praise God, I am the recipient of the salvation that was brought out of that. The Son of God. 
God had already said that the penalty for sin was death. And Jesus was the payment for our sin. The Father actually turned the back on the Son. I have heard preachers from the pulpit in, in my years, I'm talking about Southern Baptist preachers, say that they don't believe that for a second. They don't believe God could ever withdraw fellowship from the Son, that he didn't turn his back and forsake his Son. Well, you're going to deny the words of the Lord Jesus himself? Of course he did. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk, it says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Wow. God told us that in the Old Testament. Isaiah said in the 53rd chapter, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And of course, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that I've already quoted, that he said, for he made him to be, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was actually quoting scripture when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Psalm 22, 1, that is a direct quote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 3 of that same 21st Psalm, it says this, for you are holy. Why have you forsaken me? For you are holy. A holy, pure, undefiled God will not fellowship with sin. And for the first time in eternity past, and never again for eternity future will that moment ever arrive when the father turns his back on his son or withdraws fellowship from the son. But at that time, that ninth hour on that day of the crucifixion, at three o'clock in the afternoon, when Jesus became our sins on the cross, darkness covered the earth. Darkness being the absence of light, God turned his back on his only son, refusing to fellowship with him, but knowing that he was carrying out the Father's perfect plan in all that he did. God had announced it from the very beginning that there would be the shedding of the blood of the innocent one, the pure one, the undefiled one, and God kept saying it over and over and over and over again. And through the thousands of years, mankind would not receive that, would not believe it. The Israelites would not receive that. They were looking for a king to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and that he would rule over the people. And they were looking for that Messiah to come that was going to put them in power again and, and give that leadership they never understood he was coming as a meek and lowly sacrificial lamb to die on the cross for our sins. They missed that whole picture, even though God gave it over and over and over again. 
And then you get to the book of Hebrews. It says, for the sacrifice of the shedding of the blood of oxens and lambs can never take away the sin of anyone, but the sacrifice of the precious Holy Son of God who became our sin and shed his blood takes away the sins of all who would believe on him. Aren't you thankful? Can't you rejoice in that today? To know that God did that for you and for me. Jesus died so that we could have life. The children of Israel were dying from a snake bite. They were guilty of sin against the holy God. God told Moses to put a brass serpent upon a pole and tell the Israelites that whoever looked at the brass serpent on the pole would live. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must I be lifted up. For whosoever believes in me will have everlasting life. Oh, what a fulfillment of a promise. Oh, how the gospel is preached over and over and over throughout the entire Old Testament. And to, when we get to the New Testament, it's not just preached, it is presented. It becomes reality. It is finished. And when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. He did not mean he was done in. He didn't mean he was given up. He meant he had paid the price. He had done what he came to do. He had left the Father's side, and he'd gone through the time of the Father withdrawing fellowship from the Son when he became our sin on the cross. And now he said, it is finished. I want you to notice that during that time of him taking on all of our ugliness, he cried out to him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Suddenly there's no fellowship with the Father. Suddenly there's not that, that wonderful oneness with the Father. He calls out to him as my God. But once he said, it is finished, I have completed it. I have gone through this horrible experience of taking on the sin of mankind. What did he say? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father. Relationship restored. Fellowship restored. And they took him down from the cross, placed him in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, the father said, Son, come forth. And Jesus came forth from the grave, and that fellowship is perfect from then eternity future all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross we can know that fellowship we can know that wonderful relationship with the holy God and we can have a conversation with him and call him our father 
A lot of folks talk about, well, we're all the sons of God, created us all. God is our Father. Listen, He is the Father of the ones who have been born into His family. He is the Father of the ones who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of the ones who have received His forgiveness that was furnished on the cross of Calvary. And we can go to our Father, and the writer of Hebrews says we can come boldly to that throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. Oh, what a promise. A promise fulfilled and a promise given to us that we experience the reality of it every day in the Christian life, that God so loved you. God so loved me that he gave his only son whosoever would believe in him would not perish from the bite of Satan, would not perish from the effects of sin, but would have everlasting life. Praise God for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship today. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today afresh. The old simple truth of the gospel, it never loses its power. It has never lost its meaning. And Lord, it is more precious today than ever to us who have been redeemed. Thank you that we have been the recipients of your forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And may we walk it. May we live it. May we breathe it. May we speak it everywhere we go that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. In his name we pray, amen.